in brightest day, in blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. Pretty cool, huh? Hey, Lantern Cast family, I'm Chad Bogleman, and welcome to the first uh, unnumbered episode of the new run of Lantern Cast uh, Cast Crew. Um, Mark and I have already recorded our about four episodes worth of. Uh, quote, current issue reviews, uh, and what we're doing, uh, we're going to be rolling those out as soon as we can get them up to you, but in the meantime, I've been working on some audio that I've had uh, since the uh, end of uh, November. Um, now, with the uh, Lantern cast crew, you know, Jim and Dan kind of stepping aside, and me and Mark taking over, and we're trying to knock out the first few episodes and get caught up on reviews and stuff. It's been a little hectic. Haven't had a time to get. Uh, haven't had a whole lot of time to get to these um, these interviews. Um, but I um, I took some time out, and I've uh, slowly been editing these interviews. They will be going up um, as soon as I'm done recording this. So uh, as you hear this, it's probably just a couple hours after I finish recording these bumpers for these uh, these uh, in these interviews here. So apologies to Wizard World and uh, any. Uh, any of the individuals I'm about to mention for these uh, for the delay. Now the reason is now the interviews that I got for Wizard World Austin 2013 will comprise two episodes that will appear on the Lantern Cast. I'll explain at the end of the episode uh, because I want people to uh, listen to these uh, interviews here. Uh, and uh, kind of get a taste for it so you understand what's coming next. Um, it does involve the return of a uh, spin-off podcast, um, but um, I got interviews with four individuals at Wizard World 2013. Um, and uh, once again, I was provided a press pass by the fantastic crew uh, over at the, the Wizard World uh, uh PR uh, group, and um, you know, for the third year in a row, they got me a press pass. I was able to go in. Uh, there are two specific interviews, uh, one of which you will not hear on this uh, episode because it will be all exclusively on another episode. <laughs> I, I should just stop teasing that because you guys are going to start freaking out. Um, well, at least I started freaking out when I knew I'd be able to do this. But anyways, um, so what you'll hear in this episode are three of the four interviews. The first will be with uh, Vo Nguyen. Uh, Vo, I met at the Central Texas Toy and Comic Expo, which is, uh, if you guys look, uh, go back a few episodes, you'll see there's an, inter uh, an interview I had with Tom Wynn and uh, Dave, Ro uh, Dave Roman um, and uh, all of those guys. Um, that was at Central Texas Toy and Comic Expo, and Vo is one of the artists I met there. Uh, I saw him again uh, at uh, Wizard World Austin and decided I wanted to uh, catch up with him uh, and uh, do it over the mic. So I, uh, I, I did that, and it's uh, pretty interesting, and he's got some stuff to say and some, uh, some uh, good uh, tips and tricks and stuff out there. Um, and uh, also, I spoke with Tony Donnelly. Um, Tony uh, it did a Kickstarter for a comic book called 
Albert Einstein Time Mason. Now, I had never heard of this comic book. I didn't know uh, Tony uh, going into the con. Um, I'd actually met Tony because there was a kind of uh, Wizard World pre-show mixer for the press uh, and exhibitors uh, at a bar uh, downtown uh, in Austin on 6th Street called the Easy Tiger on East 6th Street. Um, It was the Thursday, uh, November 21st, uh, before the con. We went down there. We... Uh, registered for our press passes and everything in advance so we could pick them up the next day and then uh, what we did was we just uh, kind of, kind of uh, mingled and had some uh, a couple of free drinks um, so uh, I actually met Tony there and you know just we started talking and I figured out he was an artist and and there you go and then I ran into him during the con and swung by his booth got a commission and so on and so forth picked up the first issue of his book um, so, uh, it was, it was a great way to, uh, to kind of expand my mind, comic book speaking, uh, into a, uh, a, a property, a, a comic book, a self-published type of work that I had never heard of. So it was nice to come out of that con with some, uh, some new experience to, to relate to people. And then the final interview you will hear is with Denny O'Neill. Uh, you heard that right, and it's not some artist or writer with the same name as the legendary creator. No, this is THE Denny O'Neill uh, from The Question, Batman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, anything awesome from DC in the 60s, 70s era. Yeah, that's Denny O'Neill. Um, now, I will say this before, and uh, I'm not going to give too much away. But I will say this before we go into these interviews. The Denny O'Neill interview is not complete. Um, the main reason I interviewed Denny was for uh, something else. Um, but I did ask about some additional material because I didn't want to give you guys just two interviews for the Wizard World Spotlight. And I figured I'd give you a little bit of Denny uh, for, for uh, part three there as far as interviews are concerned. We do talk about some Green Lantern related stuff. Um, so we will get to that. Uh, and you'll get to hear uh, Denny, but it is not the full interview with Denny. So there, there is that. Um, but before we get into the interviews, a little bit about Wizard World Austin. Uh, it took place November 22nd, 23rd, and 24th of this year, 2013, at the Austin Convention Center in downtown Austin, Texas. Um, got my press pass. I was able to go. I picked it up, and I kind of wandered the floor and got, you know, got kind of got a feel for things. Uh, uh, on Friday, got one interview Friday night right after work. Uh, that was cool, and uh, we'll talk more about that later. Uh, but Saturday and Sunday were my days to, you know, kind of uh, go through the con, uh, check some things out, do some very, very light shopping. Uh, as you guys know, I probably I don't have a wealth of extra money, but as uh, you, if you've been to any con, you probably know there's lots of uh, good discount bargain bins. So. I picked up a couple of things. I got um, Justice League of America 200, um, which is uh, supposedly a really good story. I know that uh, Rob Kelly and Shag Matthews of the um, uh, of Firestorm fan, I mean, not Firestorm fan, of um, Fi- the Fire and Water podcast, the podcast about Aquaman and Firestorm, have, been, have talked about this before. So I saw it, picked it up, uh, and, uh, and got that. I also picked up World's Finest number 275, which is uh, a cover where um, Superman and Batman are, uh, 
you know, opposed, you know, looking towards their respective cities, one covered in ice, one covered in fire. Um, and it says on the bottom, some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice. I know this is really boring to hear about, uh, but the reason I, I picked this up is because I'm a big fan of Robert Frost. Some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice is a reference to one of his poems, uh, Fire and Ice. Um, one which I know by heart. Some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. Um, it's one of my favorite poems by one of my favorite poets. Um, and this, uh, this world's finest cover references it. Um, the stories inside, I know I haven't even read the comic yet. I got it because I love the cover and what it references. Um, and then I thought the first appearance of Star, uh, I believe the first appearance of Dawn Star, um, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number 266, and, um, or at least one of the first appearances of her on the cover. I'm pretty sure it's the first appearance. And then Showcase number uh, 100. Um, now, I don't believe Showcase number 100 is any sort of, like super rare comic or worth anything, but it's, it's an issue of Showcase, which is a fantastic 60s series. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, a milestone issue with lots of people on the cover. You've got Hawk and, the original Hawk and Dove, Adam Strange, Spectre, um, Aquaman, The Creeper, Flash, Green Lantern, The Atom. I mean, there's all kinds of people on this cover. Um, so, you know, I, I figured why not? I'll, I'll, I'd pick that up. And, of course, I got uh, an issue of uh, Tony Donnelly's uh, Albert Einstein Time Mason. So, um, in addition to that, I uh, walked around, got up lots of pictures of people with cosplay. There was an awesome, awesome Doctor Doom cosplayer. There were people dressed up uh, as minions, and I don't mean, like, just uh, some random kind of get-up. I mean, like, a full head, and they looked like life-size minions. And by life-size, I mean my size, not, like, in relative, you know, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Um... Uh, there were some people dressed up as uh, the uh, the Super Mario Brothers and and, and uh, the characters from that, and they had like a, a dude walking around with a backpack on that had all the sound effects programmed into it, so that they could you know make sounds and stuff while they're walking around. Great uh, Joker and Harley cosplays as always. There was even a um, a couple dressed up as a uh, some random Red Lantern and Kyle Rayner Parallax. Like, not just Parallax, but specifically Kyle, Kyle Rayner Parallax. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And there was a cool gender bender, uh, Loki and Cap uh, cosplay. That was pretty cool as well. Um, among many other things, War Machine and a couple cute girls dresses various things. And, you know, yours to Thor since that was around the time the movie came out and all that stuff. Uh, and I got a picture. Uh, I bro broke down and got a picture. Um with uh, Erica Durant's, which is Lois Lane on uh, on uh, TV's Smallville. Um, it was either that or uh, basically, I can't remember her name, I think it's like Jules Sate or something like that. Uh, Kaylee from Firefly, it was either Lois or Kaylee, and I ended up going Lois. Um, so, uh, yeah, I broke down and paid for a picture uh, with a celebrity, something I thought I'd never do, but I did it. Um, and it was basically, you know, the, the, the show was a lot of fun. Um, I keep saying this to lots of people. Some people don't go to comic conventions because when they hear about comic conventions, the stigma used to be 
um, going in and being overwhelmed. Like, they think San Diego. You know, they, when they think of comic conventions, they think of probably any sort of um, video reporting they've seen on, uh, on, a, on a comic convention. Massive crowds uh, and, you know, almost unnavigatable, uh, uh, an assault of the senses kind of a thing. Um, Wizard World type shows in every respective city, I'm sure, are a little bit different depending on the size of the city, the size of the venue in which the, the convention is being held, uh, so on and so forth. Um, this uh, Wizard World Austin is a good entry-level show. Um, there's a lot there, so there should be at least one thing there for everyone. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the there's special panels. There was even uh, Geek Speed Dating. Yes, I participated. Um, and that's all I'll say about that. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, you know, there's... Uh, there was like a, a 50th anniversary Doctor Who uh, viewing. Um, there was all kinds of stuff going on at this con. So basically there was something there for everyone. There was something there for the Doctor Who fans. There was something there for the TV fans like Walking Dead. Uh, you know, uh, Norman Reedus and Michael Rooker and all of them were there. Um, so there was a little bit of a draw for everyone uh, to come in. Uh, and it was a, a big crowd, uh, to be sure. Saturdays and Sundays obviously were the, the more crowded. Um, Saturday was, uh, almost unnavigatable at some points, but, um, it's, uh, it's not so thick of a crowd in every aisle, in every place that once you walk in, you're going to immediately regret attending. Um, you can navigate through it. You can get where you need to go. You just have to have a little bit of patience and it's not, the show floor isn't so expansive that you're not going to be able to see everything that you want to see in a given day. Um, so it was cool. It's awesome. It's definitely a good uh, entry-level show. I recommend anyone who uh, who's never been to uh, a, a con to go to a Wizard World type of convention. Um, if you're in the, the, the southern area in Texas, Wizard World Austin is amazing. It usually takes place towards the end of the year, so it's not unbearably hot down here, and you can have some fun. Now, uh, I've rambled on long enough. We're going to get to the interviews. So first up, guys, you're going to hear Vo Nguyen, and uh, I'll see you when we get back. So it's uh, Saturday, day two, and I'm still here at Austin Comic Con, and uh, one of the people I caught up with at Central Texas Toy and Comic Expo got to know was Vo. Now, Tom's pronounces it when. Is it Nguyen or, or when for you? When for you. Pronounced like W-I-N, when. Oh, okay. All right, so I'm here with Vo, Vo Wen, and, um, you know, are you, are you just a local artist? Have you done any, like, actual published work that people could find you for? Or? I've done a handful uh, for the last couple of years. I've done almost every trading card set out there, um, probably around 4,000 cards. And the last year or so, within the last year, kind of transitioned over to doing a lot of uh, indie covers, novel covers, and also worked on um, a handful of different you know, independent comic books, and did a little stint for DC, but however, it was late, so, you know, being a first time being late is not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can't afford to mess up with a big company like them right out of the gate. So, one of the things that I was curious about, like, for instance, on your banner here, you've got a print, of which I already have, of Gambit and Rogue. How did you develop your style of this kind of a wash kind of look? Oh, um, 
basically anything I can get my hands on because I don't know anything. I didn't go to school for art. I went to school for business. So anything I can get my hands on regarding to what I'm drawing, if it's right in front of me, I mix it up. And I used Copec markers. I had, um, you know, ink washed. So I kind of threw things together and then mixed it all up. Used the white out. And I even used tea bags to uh, give it like a mixed tone, trying to create a feeling and emotion. That's when I was in art, when I took art classes in high school, middle school, is basically anything, she, the teacher was like, anything you can find that can create something, do it, use it. So your, your art teacher was not so much, I have an assignment for you, do this, just do what inspires you? Yeah, yeah. she was pretty open. Uh, I think she went to school for a good, she got her master's and everything, and she, in the class, she would do her own paintings as opposed to teaching, so it was, you know, free as you do, do what you want, so. That's, I mean, that's probably the best way to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination, but, like, I, I'm, I like writing, right? Huh? So if somebody just told me not, not, like, write about this specific topic for this long, but just said write, I would love that. That's yeah. so awesome. Now. Because of, you know, you said you earlier before we before we started recording that you know you do darker, you tend to do darker stuff. Oh my do you, do you, do you do darker stuff because it lends to your style or because that's something you like? Honestly, the reason why I do darker stuff that's I I think I consider myself a mistake artist. So the more if you see a lot a lot of darker or a lot of shadows, it's because I made a lot of mistakes. So. <laughs> Um, as I add more blacks to the picture, you can tell that I try to render stuff and I didn't like it, so I covered it in black and it went over and white out and it kind of builds up and then it looks dark. Yeah. Okay, hold on. Now, now the sketch covers that you've been doing, um, I know when I last saw you at, at uh, Central Texas Toy and Comic Expo, you had a lot of prints. Um, is, is the sketch covers just something that you've started doing recently uh, as opposed to actual commissions? Or, have you, is, or is there a reason you prefer sketch covers over anything else? The reason why I do sketch covers is because it's quick and efficient. Um, I work a day job around 50, 60 hours a week, and then when I come home, take care of the kids. I have two little ones, two and a half, and a year old in a six month. So anytime I get to draw, I draw at lunchtime during my breaks. And they're smaller pieces as opposed to being 11 by 17, which is hard when you're sitting in and putting it on your lap or angling it up. Yeah. Um, that's why I've been working on these. But um, at the end, by the end of this year, I'm starting next year, and do a sequential page, it's always at 11 by 17. But um, I want to start jumping back onto like the bigger pieces, 11 by 17 pieces. Now, do you have any upcoming work that people might be looking out for? Or are you just right now taking commissions and, and going to shows and selling your stuff? Oh, um, I've done a handful of, again, trading cards. I'm backing out. I'm actually, for the last four years, four or five years, I've been working on Crazy Ugly, which is one of my personal books that I'm working on. And I have another book, which is Broken Lug. Think of Britney Spears in her crazy days in the Jet Li movie. And the other book that I'm working on is actually... Uh, Crazy Ugly, where on one of her bounties, she nearly gets killed and hides away in a tattoo parlor. The tattoo artist actually inks her body up with a magic ink that allows her to fight, like, you know, monsters, demons, werewolves, vampires, based out of New Orleans. And But before he finishes, he gets killed, and she has to go through all this internal uh, conflict. And then, you know, and all these monsters coming after on a limited 
um, power basis, basically. Right. Now, where where would where would uh, people be able to find that stuff if they wanted to? That book, once I'm finished, because since I have quite a bit of um, things on my plate, I've been working on it for a while. I was saying a couple of different places, comic shops, and online, you know, through Emma, you know. Yeah, I gotcha. Anywhere, I'm gonna try to uh, pimp it out as much as I can when it's finished. But well, well, thanks for talking to me. And where can people find your stuff if they want to get a commission from you? Right now at cons, and you can reach me on Facebook. I don't have anything else. I know I work at Microsoft, but by the time I get home, I don't want to jump on anything else. Just hit me up on Facebook, I guess. Awesome. So thank you so much for taking time out to speak with me, and you have a great con. Thanks, appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you. All right, so it's uh, Sunday, final day, day three, and I'm sitting with uh, Tony Donnelly. Donnelly? Donnelly? Donnelly. Donnelly, okay. Uh, and he did an epic Blue Lantern Kyle Rayner commission for me. It was awesome. And uh, you uh, just did a Kickstarter for Albert Einstein Time Mason. What's what's the story about? That's right. It's, um, it's kind of a younger Einstein than everyone's used to. It's Albert Einstein as a time-traveling Indiana Jones-type character. He's... Uh, He's quippy, he's kind of a ladies' man. This first issue, he goes into the future and gets his brain back from some scientists that stole it from the past. And there's a big overarching story. We kind of start to find out who the Time Masons are, how they work, why they kind of control the timelines, things like that. Why Albert Einstein? Uh, I was watching a discovery show on Einstein, and they were talking about how he kind of visualized what relativity was just while he was riding on a bus. and. He, I mean, he kind of figured out what time and space was and how they worked together. And it just popped into my head that if anyone was going to time travel, it would be Albert Einstein. And I couldn't believe no one had really done a time-traveling Albert Einstein book before. And, and your, your art style, all the, like you were telling me on the commission here, you got the Kirby dots in on this cover for Time Mason, you got the Kirby dots there, all the, the ink wash and kind of splash there. And I'm not an artist, so if I'm using the wrong terms, terms you can tell me. What, what what brought you to, to use this particular style, not just for Time Mason, but how did you evolve your style into this? Um, well, like your Blue Lantern is a little bit more regular comic booky mm -hmm. that I would usually do. For Albert Einstein Time Mason, I wanted to simplify my style down a little bit and make it really accessible. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to feel like an old Marvel comic, old issues of the Fantastic Four, Uncanny X-Men and stuff. I just wanted everyone to look at it and go, oh, that's what I think comics looks like. Mm -hmm. So I pared down my style a little bit, made it really um, kind of consumer friendly. I used the old 64 color palette. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really just looks like what comics look like to people. Mm -hmm. um, so those, those are two actually different styles. And I assume eventually I'll kind of move Einstein into my more modern style. But yeah. for now, this is working. Now, it's odd to, to make this comment, but mm -hmm. we were, you were just talking about the colors, and I just kind of glanced at that panel down over there, and, you know, you guys are listening, you can't hear what I'm talking, you can't see what I'm talking about, but it reminds me kind of uh, the color kind of, you ever uh, read any old uh, Steve Rude Nexus? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the color, that's what the colors kind of remind that me is, of right there. Yeah, Nexus is a perfect kind of template for what these colors look like. I really, there's um, a colorist named Glennis Oliver, who I think, her name was later on Glennis Ween. I don't know if she married Glenn Ween or not, but, um, and I, when I was coloring this, just pulled out all of my Uncanny X-Men, um, Fantastic Four issues, she did X-Factor, 
Uh, I got Secret Wars out with Mike Zeke. I can't remember who colored that, unfortunately, but and just poured over those colors and saw how they used pink as a background. And when you think about comics today, you don't think that there's pink backgrounds. But if you actually look around and look through it, there was a ton of pink. It's just weird, <laughs> you know? But um, yeah, it's just a fun color palette. And what about the villains he's going up against in this in this issue? Uh, I, I I flipped through it when I got home because honestly I was I had not eaten at all that day except for a bottle of water and three Excedrin. <laughs> so I, I ate I ate and I took a nap. <laughs> uh, but I flipped through real quick at a, a midget mad scientist or little yeah. person mad scientist. Yeah. You want to look classic there? It's um it's totally a classic villain midget mad scientist and he's got this huge like six foot four kind of Nazi-looking apprentice, badass woman sidekick. Um, when dealing with Einstein's German, obviously, but he was also born Jewish, and eventually in the series we're going to be back in Germany, you know, World War II stuff. But I wanted this one to be really fun, so I kind of gave them the look of a future Nazi team. And they're kind of a bumbling group. Um, we call them the Sci-Ocialists. They're the Science uh, Socialists something. Um, okay kind of a play on national socialism and we just wanted them to be kind of Nazi-like but morons and you can beat up and kill as many Nazis as you want no one cares. <laughs> so they're, they're a goofy bunch, these they're, people. They're the perfect bad guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like totally, totally expendable. Nazis and ninjas, you can do whatever you want with them, it doesn't matter. Now, what's your art background? A lot of our listeners are artists, so what, what about you? What's your art background? Uh, well, I went to the School of Visual Arts in New York for three and a half years, studied under Walt Simonson, Joe Orlando, Carmine Infantino. Um, those guys were amazing. And then since then, I moved to Los Angeles. I was working on music videos and commercials, doing storyboards, crap like that. Last year, I had a run on Zenoscope Myths and Legends um, for Zenoscope. And after that, I was kind of just burned out and really just wanted to do my own thing. So this idea had been bumping around in the back of my head, and I just dove into it. And this is, because I know a lot of artists, and they have a lot of ideas. What may, I'm assuming you've got other ideas for other books. What made I, you pick this one? I do. It's been a long time, because I knew, I mean, I have probably 10 books I would love to be doing at a time, but you just can't. So I was really waiting until I perfected one of those ideas or found one that was ready to go and perfect. So I probably spent six to eight months figuring out this story and then just said, all right, it's time to do your own book and publish. Okay, and the Kickstarter, how, I, I didn't get a chance to, you know, see it or anything, so how fast did it, did you guys get the, the or did you get the funding? Yeah, it was crazy. I put the book up, and of course the day before, I'm editing the video, and just thought, okay, I've seen this a million times. And you get that in your head, like, I've seen it a lot, I'm bored of it, nobody wants to see this. I put it up on Kickstarter, it made the front page immediately, um, and we funded it under, like, 19 hours. So I put it up, started all these my phone just started blowing up with pledge, 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 pledge. I went to bed and I woke up with the money. In the morning, we had all the money. And then it ended up, it ended up uh, funding 446%. So, yeah, it was really, you know, it was on the most popular parts. And 76% of the money I got was from Kickstarter. So it wasn't even, you know, friends and family donating. It was a popular, people liked it. And, and your ego exploded when? No, it just blew my mind. I, was, I, don't, I didn't understand what was happening. Uh, it's been really nerve-wracking. Uh, trust me, coming to cons and sitting here trying to sell the book, that'll destroy your ego. <laughs> um, yeah, it was awesome. It was just an exciting experience. Kickstarter was a, was a beast. It's hard to get all that stuff out, too. 
You know, and I don't know if you, because I know you keep up with relatively what's going on in the comic world. A friend of mine, uh, Robert Kelly, who does a podcast and uh, Aquaman uh, blog and stuff, he's got a book called Ace Kilroy, and it kind of mirrors your style. Have you ever heard of that? No, just out I of haven't. Curiosity? It's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, some detective guy going up against monsters and myths and stuff like that, but your style kind of matches him. That's why I, I, I particularly enjoy it. For, uh, the reason I mention it is because a lot of our listeners are familiar with Ace Kilroy. Uh, so his, uh, Tony's style is kind of like uh, Ace Kilroy, uh, for those of you out there. Now, who are your, some, some of your influences? Uh, not just on this book, but... Right. Yeah. I mentioned Walt Simonson earlier, who is just, to me, I think the greatest... Uh, Simonson, Alex Toth, I love John Paul Leone, anything he does is gold. Um, I love Rick Leonardi, which is kind of a weird one. A lot of people don't, a lot of people maybe don't even know who Rick Leonardi is. Uh, I don't. Oh, he's incredible. He did Green Lantern uh, Aliens. He drew that. Oh, okay. Two or three issue miniseries. <laughs> um, I love that guy. And John Romita Jr. is just such a, he's a consummate comic book artist. He's perfect. I love that guy. But your friend's also on that Aquaman podcast, you said? Yeah. I love Paul Pelletier, or Pelletier, or whatever it is. I think it's Paul Pelletier. Yeah. He's phenomenal. And Yvonne Hayes, of course. Yeah, I also love Yvonne Hayes. I wouldn't call him an inspiration, or not an inspiration, like a... What was the word? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's been he, three days. He came on, yeah, exactly. He kind of came on later. But uh, a lot of the old guys, Alex Toth, you can always look at Alex Toth and just go, oh, I'm doing it wrong, you know? Now, That's a big one. now one final question. Now, obviously, it's Albert Einstein. He has to look Albert Einstein esque. Right. But he kind of looks like Tom Selleck, too. <laughs> was that intentional on was your it part? Initially, intentional to look like Tom Selleck. And it was, he's so known for his hair. Yeah. Like Einstein, you think of his crazy hair and his crazy mustache. So I still wanted him to look cool. So he's got big hair in my book, but it's kind of a pompadour you know, sharp-looking hair. Yeah. And But I knew I had to make his mustache great because I needed him to be hairy. <laughs> he's got, I mean, all through the book, he's got hairy arms, he's got a hairy chest. Um, and if you're going to do a mustache, you go right to the source, and that's Selleck. <laughs> so, um, I don't particularly draw him exactly like Tom Selleck, but with that mustache, it kind of, everyone kind of notices it. But for issue two, I had Stefan Rue draw the cover, and uh, he did a beautiful Drew Struzan-type Indiana Jones poster. And it, it, and it looks like pretty much just painted Tom Selleck on the poster. So. <laughs> it looks like Indy. And you gave me a, a print of, the, of, of that cover, so I'll, I'll, I'll post it up on the website, you guys, so you can see it. It looks like an authentic movie cover. Yeah. Now, how, how, how long is this series going to be? It's a five-issue miniseries to start with, and uh, we'll see how that goes and keep going. Some guy actually walked up and asked me, uh, when that movie was released. He looked at the big poster, and I said, oh, it's, it's not real. <laughs> like, he really thought it was a Tom Selleck movie. So, I guess that's good. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, if people are interested and want to find the book, maybe uh, get a commission from you, anything like that, how, how do people get in contact with you? You can go to tinydonkeystudios.com, and uh, you can read the first um, Albert Einstein 8-pager that I put up there. I've got a bunch of zombie comics I did that are up there for free. Uh, you can also see some of the pages from Albert Einstein Time Mason, the process comparisons where I'll show you the layouts, the pencils, the inks, the colors. Um, if you, if there's a lot of artists listening, that's something that I'm always interested in. And you can go right and buy the book from there and I'll mail it to you. Sweet. Commissions, you just uh, hit the contact button and tell me what you want. Sweet. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time out to speak with me. Thanks again for the Blue Lantern Kyle Rayner Commission. And uh, you have a great con. Yeah, you too, man. Bye. Thanks a lot. 
it's day two, uh, Wizard World Austin, and I'm sitting with Denny O'Neill. Uh, and uh, we've spoken with you before, but uh, in the novel you wrote, Hero's Quest, about Kyle Rayner, which today is his 20th anniversary. Um, the Guardians, there's a different perspective on the Guardians than, than I've read before, in which, in particular, they had never heard of art. Never. And and, it, and and they took the universe and started playing with it, and they thought Homesteaders' rights, it's our universe, we were here first. Well, what inspired you to change the Guardians that way? Obviously, it kind of fits in with your perspective on them. Well, uh, one of the conditions of my acceptance, well, I mean, uh, that job, all I was told was do a Green Lantern. I picked Kyle Rayner because for a number of reasons that served the narrative, but I did get Hal Jordan in. I thought, I'm going to do that for the fans. Right. Uh, but, yeah, that, that, that's my favorite of my novels. And I needed something to resolve the problem that did not involve violence. I thought that this, this story will not be valid. Mm. So, I futzed around a long time, and I thought I was stopped. So coming back from Boston, Mary Fran and I stopped in Mark Twain's house and took the tour. And I'm so, so pleased about this. As we were driving away from Mark Twain's house, I explained my problem to Mary Fran, and she said, well, didn't you establish that the Guardians didn't understand fiction, and wouldn't that solve your... I, Yes, yes, that will solve it. And we have just, Mark Twain has come down and inspired us. Uh, but I wasn't sure it worked, so I, I sent a copy to Scott Peterson, who is one of the people I, I trust in literary matters, and asked him, you know, tell me the truth. I can rewrite. Don't, don't be afraid of hurting my feelings. And he said it works fine. Mm -hmm. So I took Scott's word for it. And... Uh, yeah, I, I don't reread published work, but I think that's the best of, of those books that I did. I've got two copies, and I've listened. And you know Graphic Audio did a version of we that. We have that, yeah. Yeah, and it's amazing. Mary's listened to it, I think. I haven't. I've listened to it too many times. I don't know how I find the time, <laughs> but I do. Um, and was that the first and only time you've ever written Kyle Rayner? And and how did how what material did you read, if any, to, to to get into the mind of the character? Well, I hadn't read him, but I was his editor's boss. Mm -hmm. And I was in on the beginning of Kyle Rayner. What happened was that Green Lantern was floundering. Uh, so one night after work, uh, the editor, Kevin... Uh, Kevin, Dooley. Kevin Dooley and his assistant Eddie Berganza and Archie Goodwin and Mike Carlin and myself went to an Italian restaurant on 52nd Street and for four hours worked out a new Green Lantern. The thing was the sales were terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And then we went back to the office, and Kevin made the necessary calls to line up the freelancers. And about midnight, I got on the E-train and went downtown. And it hit the fan, because Kevin got so much hate mail. People who loved Hal Jordan. Well, they loved him, but not enough to buy his comic book every right. month. 
And uh, later, as almost always happened, when, when Chris Claremont killed off one of the X-Men, got hate mail, when uh, uh, Frank Miller killed off Electra, I think he got death threats. Uh, so uh, there was a big fuss at first, and the sales went up. So when I agreed to do that novel, the only thing that I had to go on was Green Lantern, any way you want to do it. I, uh, the, the editor, Charlie Kochman, I don't know if he knew I was going to do it first person, but that seemed somehow right. I don't know, my subconscious was saying, do it that way. So, so the reason you did it, you went in just saying Green Lantern, but at the time, obviously, Kyle was the only, in the comics was the only Green Lantern. In the novel, the core still exists. Yeah. Was was that something just because you were just like, hey, Green Lantern, and, and obviously the core is part of that, or did you know at the time Kyle's the only one, but I'm going to do it this way? I really don't know. Yeah. Um, I had from Charlie, carte blanche. Yeah. Uh, that hasn't happened very often in 50 years as a professional writer. Happened with the question. Yeah. Do what you want with it. Yeah. Uh, change it. So uh, Charlie and I had worked on the Nightfall hardcover novel. And we, we worked very well together. And he just, in effect, said, you know, I, I need a Green Lantern novel by, by this time. Mm -hmm. And I went off and wrote it. Uh, it was an interesting job. I didn't think about it very much beyond that. And my, my listeners will kill me if I don't ask this final question since you brought up the topic. At the time Kyle was created, Hal went nuts because of the destruction of Coast City, which was part of the Death of Superman storyline. In that sequence of events, at what point was Kyle created? Right after you knew that Hal was going to go nuts? or I don't... Uh, at that dinner at the Italian restaurant, I don't think we even talked about Hal yeah. very much. What we knew was the book needed some shot in the arm. Yeah. Something had to change. Right. There were other ways to go, probably. Yeah. I mean, one thing that happens off the top of my head is bring back Alan Scott, see how that works. Mm -hmm. But uh, what we did, the five of us, was come up with Kyle Rayner. He was a young guy that might appeal to that demographic. Mm -hmm. um, Kevin took it from there and did a good job. Yeah, and then uh, Ron did the Ron Mars did the writing and yeah. Daryl Banks and the art, and it was just from there it was amazing. And you know, Hell Hell got revived, which nobody ever really dies in comic books. Right. I thought Jason Scott was you know gone forever. But yeah, he's back. <laughs> All right, well, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to speak with me. It's been great, and uh, thank you for everything you've ever done for comics, Green Lantern, whatever it may be. Well, really happy to be of service. And that, as they say, is that. Uh, hey, guys, we're back. Um, so, yeah, those are the interviews, uh, Vo, Tony, and Denny. Um, now, the I told you guys that after we got through the interviews that I'd tell you why the Denny O'Neill interview was kind of edited and uh, shorter than you would expect. The Denny O'Neill interview is longer than what you heard. Uh, that last bit was the very tail end of the interview. The first bit of the interview you will hear 
on the return of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow podcast, the uh, the spinoff uh, podcast of the Lantern cast that I started about a year ago, a little over a year ago maybe, um, uh, all about the 1970s Green Lantern, Green Arrow series. The first episode featured me and uh, former CGS co-host Mike Gallagher, uh, where we talked about the history of the Comics Code Authority uh, and the impact it had on the comic book industry. Now, the reason Episode 2 has not come, and you've probably heard me joke about this on the Lantern Cast with the other co-hosts, is that when I started the show, I had a very uh, set idea for the first two episodes of that show. Uh, I was stubborn, and I probably should have given up and just went ahead and gone on with another plan and put out Episode 2 in another fashion. But always, Episode 1 was going to be about the Comics Code Authority, and Episode 2 was going to be interviews. That's right, I said interviews, plural. Meaning at least one other person will be showing up in interview format on the uh, second installment of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow podcast. Denny O'Neill and I sat down and spoke on Saturday about uh, about the... Green Lantern, Green Arrow series one-on-one. Now, uh, Jim Ford and I uh, had sat sat down and spoke with uh, Denny on a previous show in which we got an interview with Denny um, and uh, spoke with him over the phone. So some of it might be rehash. Uh, Honestly, at this point, guys, I've heard so many interviews. I love Green Lantern, Green Arrow so much. I've heard heard and read so many interviews with Denny Denny O'Neill that... Some of what he says kind of uh, like triggers as uh, I've heard this before, but I'm not sure if I'd read it or heard it or someone else had asked the question. Basically, Green Lantern, Green Arrow has been covered so extensively um, by various people because it's such a historic series, and Denny is very consistent in his recollection of it, that some of it may be repeat from that prior interview or something you may have heard in the past. Uh, I just wanted to take time to ask some very basic questions because I had actually gone to a Denny O'Neill panel, um, and it was, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm honestly sorry uh, uh, to say this, but it was very low attended. It was in a very small room. Um, I want to say there were only about 30, maybe 40 people in the in the panel room. Uh, and it was just Denny and another individual uh, just kind of sitting and talking. Uh, the other individual, uh, I, his, whose name escapes me, and I apologize profusely. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, he was just asking Denny about uh, his history in the comics industry as a writer um, and his, his history in general. Uh, I wish I would have recorded that panel um, because... Uh, it was a lot of fun, uh, and it was. Uh, Denny made some jokes, and he spoke very uh, articulately and clearly. Um, but it was. Uh, it was. There's a phrase out there: "Never meet your heroes because they'll like disappoint you or something." That wasn't the case with Denny O'Neill because the guy didn't do anything to disappoint me. What disappointed me was the level of respect I have for this creator, and then looking around me in that room and not seeing it filled to capacity. That's what. That's what upset me. Um, if you guys ever see Denny O'Neill, the man uh, is a wealth of information. Um, 
uh, a lot of these uh, older creators, and I, and, and I don't use that as a derogatory term, but all, all the um, older creators more steeped in the industry who have history with the industry, for the most part, if you just kind of give them a topic, a question, they'll go on for 20, 30 minutes about whatever. You'll get such amazing stories. The key to interviewing someone like Denny O'Neill or anyone else is to not have as many questions prepared. Just have four or five very basic but specific things that you want to talk about that will guide the conversation and just let them go. Get out of their way and let them talk. That's the best thing you could possibly do. Um, I'm still learning that. I haven't got it down pat, but I'm better than I used to be. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that little snippet you heard from Denny. And we'll go over to the Green Lantern, Green Arrow podcast, uh, spinoff podcast, episode two, uh, to listen to the, the remainder of that interview. I will edit out the portion that you have heard on this show um, uh, and maybe uh, keep in the, the, the end part there so it kind of flows a little better. Um, but uh, there is another interview you will hear on the return of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow podcast. And I'm sure it's very, very easy for you to figure out who it is. Uh, it's the Green Lantern, Green Arrow podcast, and I spoke to Denny O'Neill. So who do you think the other person I spoke to is? If you're guessing it, you're probably right. Uh, so head on over there once, once, it, once it finally gets uh, edited together. Uh, there's a little more I do with the uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow podcast, so I want to make sure I, I uh, get all that audio down pat before I post up that episode. But it'll be coming soon, uh, so no worries there. Um, and then, uh, like I said, the rest of the con, it was so cool. Like I said, I went to that Denny O'Neill panel. Uh, he told lots of great stories, not just about his time in the industry, uh, but before that as a journalist uh, and, and stuff like that. Um, those stories are out there a lot. I, I kind of wish there's like a Denny O'Neill um, uh, biography, autobiography, something like that out there um, because it's great. Um, the, the interview I, I had with him was, was so cool in the fact that after the panel and everyone else had left the room, it was just me, Denny, and Mary Fran. And Mary Fran is his wife. Uh, and she was sitting off in the, to the side uh, in, in the audience kind of uh, feeding uh, Denny answers when he couldn't remember one thing or another. Um, uh, and uh, it was it was very surreal. I wish someone could have been there to photograph it or something because uh, that, that was cool. Uh, but I've spoken and gone on enough about that. We've got a whole episode coming up uh, for the spinoff podcast uh, in which I'll be talking about that more. So I should probably shut up uh, and continue on here. Um, the rest of the com was cool. Um, the uh, never never get con food. Uh, I got ended up getting a slice of pizza on like Sunday because I had forgotten on on Saturday. I was so busy between going uh, to panels, trying to uh, organize the interview with Denny O'Neill, to try and get my picture taken with uh, with Erica Durant and 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 so on and so forth. I literally forgot to eat. I had a bottle of water, and at one point I got a headache, and I wonder why I didn't eat, and three Excedrin. Uh, you heard that in the, the Tony Donnelly interview. Uh, a bottle of water and three Excedrin for an entire day's worth of con, in which not, not only are you is it just like a day but a day in which you're going up and down the stairs and wandering a con floor I mean it's going to a con isn't just walking it's navigating 
It's trying to get to a certain place to be at, there at a certain time for certain things. It's you know when you're when you're there with a press pass and you're trying to get interviews and make connections and stuff. There's even more to it. So you're it's it's more than just kind of casually strolling around for a day. Um, so it's it's more exhaustive than you think. Um, so for a whole day, I had nothing but water and three Excedrin. Uh, so the next day, uh, I, I apparently didn't learn my lesson, uh, and uh, I got a, a slice of pizza and a, another bottle of water because um, I gave up soda. Um, <clears throat> but that was like almost $9, uh, and I keep forgetting, never buy food at a con. It is ridiculously expensive. Always go to like HEB or Walmart or whatever your local grocer is and get like some peanut butter cracker snacks or, you know, uh, make a, a, a sandwich before you go and pack it in a brown paper bag. You know, your, your standard school lunch like you used to have. Load your backpack down with bottles of water. Usually conventions will have uh, water fountains, but, you know, that's probably one of the main causes of con crud uh, where people just, you know, put their mouths all over the, the spigots on those uh, water fountains, so I wouldn't be surprised if people would uh, actively avoid those water fountains. Um, so, yeah, um, that was crazy uh, enough just trying to stay hydrated uh, and, uh, you know, going out on the end of Saturday and realizing I hadn't eaten. Um, not for lack of trying, but I literally forgot. <laughs> um, so, that was cool. Uh, or a unique experience, rather. Um, there were there was Norman uh, celebrities. Uh, there was William Shatner. There was uh, Stan Lee. There was uh, Carl. Um, not Carl. Um, well, he p plays Carl on Walking Dead. Whatever his name is, it's escaping me at the moment. I got a picture with him. My first Wizard World con can't remember his name because I'm an asshole. Anyways, he was there. Um, Lori was there from Walking Dead. Um, uh, Norman Reedus and Michael Rooker, uh, Daryl and Merle were there. Um, Kaylee from Firefly, like I said. Erica Durance, which is uh, um, Lois on Smallville, was there. Um, Lou Ferrigno was there. Um... The Green Power Ranger, I don't know. I wasn't ever really super into the Power Rangers, so I don't know who that is. Um, sorry. Um, and a bunch of other stuff. There was a, a, a well-known cosplayer who looks a lot like Thor. He was there. Um, uh, that mean, there's, there was, there, celebrities were the, were, the, were the big draw there. Um, there were a few good uh, comic artists and stuff there. Uh, Tyler Kirkham was there. Uh, we spoke with Tyler before, though, so I figured, you know, we've already interviewed him. Uh, he hadn't done any Green Lantern work since, um, you know, and I, so I, I didn't want to bother him. Mike McCone was there again, same kind of thing there. Uh, we had him on before. I didn't want to bother him. Um, now, my friend Errol C., who I usually interview at every single local uh, Austin con um, around here, um, I was going to interview him, but Errol was actually very, very busy uh, during that weekend. Uh, he was doing so many different commissions, selling so many different prints. 
Uh, every time I walked by him, he had his head down and uh, it was sketching on a sketch pad. So that was crazy. Um, and uh, super busy, super cool to see a, a guy get uh, so much attention. That was that was nice. Um, and uh, uh, Greg Capullo was there uh, from uh, for doing art on Batman. Obviously, he had a, a line almost all weekend getting people to sign. Uh, and something I didn't know until I walked by the table. Uh, across from Greg Capullo was Miguel Sepulveda. If you recognize that name, he did the art on a lot of the uh, Red Lanterns books. Now, the problem with Red Lanterns, obviously, was not the art. <laughs> it was uh, everything else. Uh, as you recall, I did not particularly like the art. It's not so much a it's bad art as it's not my cup of tea type of a thing. Um, Miguel does not speak English. I was going to get an interview with him, but he does not speak English. Um, so I got his card, uh, or the, rather the card of the individual who works with him who does speak English. And there may be an interview uh, exclusive on the website that you guys can go and read at some point in the near future. Because, again, he doesn't speak English. I'd have to email the questions and have him, uh, you know, do a response back. Um, so that might be coming soon. Um, and I'd, we honestly, uh, since we don't like that uh, series uh, too much, um, just being honest, guys... Um, I wouldn't mind taking questions from you guys. I know a lot of you out there didn't mind the Red Lantern series. So if you've got questions for Miguel Sepulveda, uh, lanterncast at gmail.com would be the place to send them. I'd be more than happy to gather some of those up and uh, send them his way, obviously, you know, if they're appropriate and so on and so forth. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the, the con was nice. Uh, I got to say it was a lot better. Uh, being, it literally took me probably five minutes to get there from my apartment um you know just jump on the feeder i didn't even have to get on the main interstate you know it's basically take the service road for two miles uh park and then walk to the con so that that was nice to be able to stay all day come home you know once the con was over and then immediately be back in my house you know the next in the next 15 20 minutes so that was cool um uh, Albert Einstein, Time Mason. Uh, I read the book. It's cool. Um, it's definitely a self-published work. By that, I mean you're not going to see like super be detailed background images and uh, you know brushwork and you know all kinds of stuff. This is a first issue uh, by an independent creator uh, doing his thing. Uh, it's um, you know, Tony kind of says it all in that interview. It's uh, it's Indiana Jones. Uh, it's um, I don't know. With with a title like Time Mason, I'm wondering if it's kind of Doctor Who-ish. Uh, in 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 some regards, maybe I'm not sure. Um, I I haven't watched enough Doctor Who at this point to make that call. But I wonder if it's kind of some somewhat Doctor Who. Um, so. Maybe Indy meets Doctor Who meets, um, I don't know, something else. There's something else miss I'm missing. There's, there's, a, there's a humor there that, I mean, I know those, 
Uh, other two properties have some humor, but there's something else there that I can't quite grasp. The art is nice. I enjoy the art. It's not uh, it's not off-putting in the slightest. Uh, it's nice. Uh, there, I don't. I really don't have anything bad to say about it. I got a commission from Tony, so it's 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 great. Um, the story there the um, there are less words. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just when you when I open it, there's more art than words. I think the the story is being told more visually, uh, at least in the first issue. Uh, it's not like there's you know an extensive amount of uh, setup uh, text or thought bubbles or word bubbles or any of that. Um, it's just kind of uh, it's it's very simple. Let's put it that way. It's very simple. Uh, it's very straightforward. It gets the point across, and it's a great it's a great read. So I would definitely recommend uh, a, picking up a copy of uh, Albert Einstein Time Mason and checking it out. Um, I will post up on the forum. Uh, for this episode, uh, the form to topic for this episode, a uh, an image, a scan of the Kyle Rayner commission uh, that uh, that Tony did for me. It is really epic, uh, and uh, maybe you'll get a feel for his type of style. Now, what you see in that commission is not exactly what uh, Albert Einstein Time Mason looks like, but it's close enough. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, you know, the downside to these types of episodes, guys, is I, I, I go in by myself so I don't have to worry about uh, gathering other bits of audio or making James edit more. I, I, I edit all this stuff together myself and, and throw it up um, uh, so we don't have to have too much uh, too much stuff on James's plate. Um, so uh, with me talking by myself, I'm probably rambling, but Wizard World Austin 2013, by and large, guys, it was a great show. Um, I'm so glad I got to go again uh, this year. I'm so glad I got the interviews that I did. And uh, again, uh, stay tuned when we get a chance to get the uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, or Lantern Cast Presents Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Episode 2 out to you guys. We will have two, two more bits of audio from Wizard World 2013, Austin, uh, and... Uh, It'll, it's going to be pretty epic, guys. Uh, I, I personally am, am pretty proud that I was able to do, uh, able to get these interviews and finally put this episode out. And uh, if nothing else, just get down to sit and talk to these people. So uh, that was awesome. Thanks, Wizard World, for allowing me that opportunity and for the great experience. And guys, if you ever have a chance to go to a show. Uh, and you've never been to a con before, a Wizard World show is absolutely a good entry point as it is a good mix of shopping, uh, comic book people, and uh, entertainment guests. So it's it, there's something there for everybody. Definitely go and check it out. Um, and uh, that's that. Okay, guys, if you want to contact the show, it's lanterncast at gmail.com. Um, we have a Twitter and Facebook page, so just search LanternCast on your respective social media site of your choice, and you'll f either you know like or follow us uh, on those sites. If you're on Twitter and Facebook and don't you know do at LanternCast or something when you post, um, then use the hashtag GLCast, G-L-C-A-S-T, for uh, you know just an easier way for us to communicate between listeners. Um, you want to leave us a voicemail, it's 708-LANTERN, and we will play those uh, when we get the chance. Uh, and uh, 
We have a website, www.lanterncast.com. There you can find our About Us, our galleries, our episodes for download, our forum, um, all kinds of stuff. So definitely uh, head over there and check out that material. And we are available on iTunes and Stitcher as well. Uh, if you uh, download us on iTunes, make sure to, if you have the time and are enjoying the show, um, leave us a review. We always love uh, getting reviews. It helps increase the visibility of the show. So thanks again to Wizard World Austin. Uh, uh, thanks again to Tony, to Vo, to Denny, and to the uh, special guests that will be appearing in the, the Green Lantern Green Arrow spinoff. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed those interviews, and I cannot wait for Wizard World 2014. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later.